Harlot Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest on the show is Kyle Lobeser. He is the man behind Project Sadrus Masts. And I have had the privilege of testing one of his masts now for the last week. This podcast was supposed to come out about a week ago. And after we recorded, Kyle thought it'd be a good idea to send me a mast, let me ride it for a bit. And I'm incredibly grateful that he did because, first off, it rides very differently than what I was expecting. And second, it has opened my mind to a few um, new feels and tuning situation setups. So before I dive into that, a couple couple updates, and then we'll uh, we'll jam on on Project Sadra. So I am blown away by the infiniteness of foiling. When I started foiling, it's about three years ago now. You can follow the whole journey on the podcast. And something that I don't say a lot anymore is that. We have a whole lot of new listeners coming to the show, finding the show right now. And the show has chronicled my journey in foiling. And so sometimes it might not relate, correlate to your growth path. If you're starting now, if you're starting foiling now and picking up the show where it is currently, it might be beneficial to go back to the beginning and listen from the beginning because you can kind of follow my learning path. Now, there's a lot of things that I would do differently. For that, I would reference the podcast that I did with Mike Pedigo on learning. I think that's a great one for surf foiling. Um, but yeah, Foiling is so much deeper and more beautiful than I anticipated, and I was about the most frothy foiler at the beginning, having moved from Costa Rica, epic waves on tap pretty much every day, back to Florida, super depressed, found foiling, holy cow, foiling in Florida is absolutely amazing, but now, wind, downwind bumps, all of this is just Florida's just become this incredible playground. It's funny. I don't even want to travel anymore. It's so good here. And there are so many different feels. Like today, we've got wind coming up. I'm about to go meet Austin and Brian, my buddy Greg. We're going to send a downwinger. Uh, it's just insane. And that's just as much fun as surf foiling. I'm in such a kook on the wing still. So, But I'm good enough now to where I can just use it as self-powered foiling, get outside, catch bumps, ride around a little bit. Um, it's amazing. I was on foil the other day for 40 minutes, you know, just cruising downwind. So it's, it's insane. I am frothing on it. Um, things like the Kalama downwind board, you know, just being able to get into almost nothing because you, you need such little energy once you're up on foil that having a board like that, that lets you tap into the most minimal amounts of energy, um, just opens up just you know more foiling um i don't know if my wife's stoked on that just more foil. i'm already about as obsessed as it gets but i am blessed to have an incredibly supportive amazing wife and uh she supports it she'd rather have me tired and happy than sitting around the house uh angry and kind of bummed out so um that's amazing let's talk about the wing a little bit 
it's real, right? Like I was skeptical. I was, I don't, I wasn't a hater, but I'm not a wind guy, you know, like I did the kite thing for a little bit and it was just so much gear. I was like, this is kind of silly coming from surfing. You just grab your shortboard and you go out prone foiling. You know, I started on sup that was still more gear than I wanted. Um, I have been sup foiling a little bit again, which has been really fun getting back into it. But, you know, I like minimal gear. Um, and so maybe that was my reticence going into winging or just the fact that I don't know the, the wind as well, but it's just clicked for me. Um, so a couple notes on learning if you haven't started. And, and now I will say that probably a lot of you, maybe most of you are much better at winging than I am. So this is just my quick cheat sheet for someone who is not yet winging disregarded if, if you're already better than me, because you probably know a lot more than I do, but I thought I'm good at foiling. I can start off on a little board. Well, that's the wrong way to go. You want a big board. You want a big wing. And the reason is, is because what you need to learn is how to manage the, the, the wing and the wind and getting your jibes. Um, especially as you're, you know, I'm using it mostly in, in surf. And so understanding what to do with the wing, once you're catching a bump and a bigger board is just going to let you get up easier, spend more time up on foil. And so everything is going to be easier. I started off on a board that was too small, had a lot of frustrating sessions. I actually implemented for myself a three, I won't say it on the show, but a three outburst rule where if if i lost my cool more than three times i would just go in and mostly that was happening to me in really light wind when you couldn't get up so you think you're going out for something that's going to be insanely fun you get out there and you're just you know can't get up on foil um, and that's where something like that kalama board is just insane where it's the it's the downwind board but it's so quick through the water I mean, I was riding the Cabrina 800, and that's an insanely fun foil. I was riding the Cabrina 800 in like 10, 12 mile an hour wind the other day on the Kalama board with a five meter. And it's the, the, the board lets you slog so fast that you're popping up. And then once you're up on a small foil, it's incredibly efficient. Now, when I'm in the surf, I actually tune my gear right now to go slower. And that is so when I'm connecting into waves offshore, I have a little bit more time on the drop to figure out what I need to do with the wing. That's helped me a lot. So I'm riding the 1210 predominantly. Today, I think I'm actually going to go out on the Game Changer 1260. I get a little bit more mast length out of that. And that's the other thing is that if you're in surf, a bigger mast will help you. Um, most of my falls now are trying to navigate this big Armstrong board that I'm on, um, mostly in the surf with, with all the bumps and on a 75 mast in a wide wing, like the 1210, uh, I tend to breach a little bit. The other day I had a breach going really fast, kind of got a brain rattle headache for a day. So yeah. And, and go out when there's a lot of wind. That That's the other thing that I would say. It's, it's so much easier when there's wind. And it's good to have guys, you know, Pedigo and, and Brian have been helping me a ton. Austin as well. Those guys have been really supportive in, in the journey, but uh, it's super fun. We're about to go right now. I'm going to knock out this intro and then uh, we're going to send it today. Should be really fun. All right. Uh, this is big news. After waiting for what seems like forever, DHL 
from Australia today is dropping off a full uni kit. So the Vipers, Vortex, Hypers, I cannot wait. I've been so frothy on these foils and maybe I've lost a little froth because it's taken so long, but I can't wait to feel them. And so you guys are going to be hearing about what I think of the new unis. I know I love uni. Cliffy's an insanely talented designer and whole kit's supposed to come today. So come on, DHL. Let's get that going on. Um, big wins. Huge thanks. Um, Kyle sent me the Sadrus mask to test and I didn't have the aluminum fuse and I called TJ and he got one overnighted to me which was which was massive so huge thanks tj and if you guys are looking for the 1095 which is probably the hot foil right now i know i am loving it and we'll talk about tuning it in just a minute but uh hit up tj i know that they were getting six more in um the quantities are super limited right now on that but uh check out tjbigwins.com see if you can grab one if you're looking for it, it comes with a 178 tail which is one of my favorite tales. Adam's on, uh, Mr. Bennett's on Instagram. Adam is on the 158 and said he likes that. I am riding mine with a blunt tail, a KD blunt that I reshaped. I made it kind of like a bat wing shape. I brought the cord in on the tips from the back and it has loosened up that tail, made it a little bit faster. And, and I think it's an incredibly good tail. I can post some pictures of that at some point so you guys can see it. All right. Let's uh, let's get some thoughts on the Sadrus mast, and then we'll dive into the show. So, first off, I'm a big fan. I Kyle came on the show. Kyle's background, he's an engineer, uh, structural and material. You'll be able to hear him talk, you know, on the show for about an hour and a half, and he he seems like he really knows his stuff. I mean, PhD level understanding of material and construction science so we have a brilliant brain in foiling who has taken on a singular problem of mast and i think when we got done recording i was asking a lot of questions about efficiency and speed efficiency for me mostly because we're doing runners and i really enjoy the takuma gear on on those type moments and his mast is 19 millimeters wide and so i was a little bit concerned that it was going to be slow or inefficient. And there's always a trade-off in foiling. Nothing's perfect. You know, if you've got the 120, it's a brilliant foil, but you've got a really high stall speed. So you get in turbulence or aerated water, and it's really difficult to keep it up at my weight, 190 pounds. Um, the 1210, another incredible foil, but it's kind of slow and doesn't like to roll on you. So there's never been a perfect in foiling that I have felt. Um, and the drawback of the Sadrus mast, let's start with that first, is that it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit wider. I, I felt it right away, but the pros far outweigh the cons in my mind because you get, so it's, it's much stiffer. So you can trust it to where I didn't realize how much flex I was feeling in other masts, um, until I got on something that was much stiffer. And it's been a long time since I've ridden anything aluminum, you know, going back to probably NP and Cloud9 at the very beginning. And the Cloud9 wasn't very stiff. The the NP was actually fairly stiff. Um, the stiffness correlates to more direct power when you're pumping. So 
you know, you already get a little bit of a benefit. If you're, if you have a little bit more drag, you're overcoming some of that right away, just because you're able to put more power into the pump. And the, the efficiency is overcome through tuning and stability. So let me explain that. The Sagers mask being a little bit thicker adds a stability to your foil setup. So immediately I felt really locked in when I was riding it. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm not 100% sure I'm having to put more power for input into turns. But then I started looking at it differently. I started looking at the mast like, thinking about a foil board and mast as kind of like a single fin setup, right? And so if you have a bigger fin, you can slide the fin farther forward on a single fin, still have the same drive, but then you get a little bit more release off of the tail. And so when that clicked a few days ago, I slammed the mast all the way forward and I tuned So now you're adding lift to the front, but then I tuned the opposite way on the tail shim. So for a much faster foil and what I found was probably the best now only tested this in small surf, but the best small surf setup that I have felt. And I don't think I'm losing any speed or efficiency from the Takuma mast because the tuning is so much faster and the amount of drag you can add with tail shim is, is pretty huge. Like you look at the game changer 1260, the way that I like to ride that, I'm pumping it kind of like a banana and I'm adding a lot of drag to get that surf feel that I like. Um, but it doesn't pump nearly as good as if you go zero shim or maybe a little bit of positive shim. So that's for less lift. And so the way that I'm tuning the 1095 now is I'm going positive 1.5. So normally I would be tuning, you know, one, one, five, the opposite way for more lift. I'm tuning for less lift. So basically it's like a flat tail in the back. So you're not getting very much lift at all from the tail, but I'm moving the forward, the foil forward three inches to get that same front feel that I like. Now I have a mass placement I like more. I like mass riding farther forward and I'm losing all that drag from the, from the tail shim. And it feels fantastic. So, so that's incredible. Um, one of the things that I've seen online or a lot of people hit me up were about vent issues. Some people said that they had had vent issues on like the bigger type mass, like the Axis 19 or uh, 19 millimeter wide axis. Their aluminum is that wide from what folks have told me. Um, and I've only experienced it twice. It was before I changed the tuning and I was experiencing it. We had a three foot at 13 second day. And I experienced it twice in the same turn, which was going fast down the line, big down carve into a bottom turn. So you're going real fast at the bottom. And then when I would go to do my kick out, kind of fly the foil out to the outside to have a real aggressive bottom turn, I think on that really fast kick, I was inducing a vent. And then as I came around, stalled the foil. It happened to me twice. The new tuning, though, seems to solve that. Having the mast farther forward and more of a pivot than something you're really driving on feels like... uh, There were a couple moments yesterday where I felt... I had a great session yesterday, and it felt like it should have happened if it was going to happen. I need to test it a little bit more to see. But overall, for me, it has not been an issue. You know, Um, The stiffness, the amount of trust that you have on the foil because it's so stiff outweighs the uh the negatives now maybe if i'm towing huge surf i feel differently but i'm not i live in florida so 
you know, take that as it, as it comes. But, uh, and I'd love your feedback on this. Send me messages, DMs, your experience, tuning setups, all that. But it's a fantastic mast. I am stoked on what Kyle's doing because I love it when people with his level of expertise are applying that to our sport. And he's been doing this since 2014. You know, he worked at Boeing, then he worked at Apple, and he's taken all of that knowledge and started applying it in foiling. So it's very cool. I think you're going to enjoy the show. And this was a long intro, but there's a lot to cover. So hit me with questions, comments, feedback. And thank you guys for tuning in. Kyle, thanks a ton for coming on the show, man. I'm a huge fan of what you do. And get us started off with background who you are, how you got into the foil world, and then we can start nerding out on a design and construction conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. I'm super excited to be here. You know, as an engineer, I, I don't get to do a lot of the, the fun stuff like this, but um, finally, finally finding time to, to kind of share my story and, and do a little marketing. And I'm really excited to, to do that. Yeah. So I, my background, uh, mechanical engineer by by degree, always had a, a real interest in composite materials specifically. I mean, I, I have memories of, you know, the the mid nineties when I was, I don't know, I must've been 12 years old and my dad would get his Colorado cyclist magazine in the, in the mail and I would browse through. And this was around the time that monocoque carbon bikes were starting to show up in, in the industry, in the market. And, and they, they just looked so exotic to me. So, so fluid and, and also just had these performance benefits like stiffness and just super lightweight. And I, I didn't really know it at the time, but it kind of instigated my whole education and, and, and career. I ended up racing bikes in college and, and I've always loved cycling. And part of me wonders if I actually like bikes more than the sport. I, I think the social aspect of the sport and the people I met doing it are, are what kept me in it in addition to the actual equipment and the gear. Never forget the first time I saw kite surfing was 2002. I had just graduated high school. I was riding my bike in, in Provence in Southern France along the med. And, and I, I saw these guys playing in the waves with kites. And I, I just told myself that's something I'm going to do before I die, hopefully a lot sooner when I'm young and, and healthy. But I just became fascinated with that sport. Ended up, you know, Eight, eight years later, I think I finally took my my first lessons in 2008, back in the best Waru days in the Dominican Republic, broke a couple ribs, but stuck with it. And after college, kind of jumping around, but but ended up getting getting a job at, at, at Boeing on the 787 program. And my my mentor at the time was a was a guy named Billy Raisler, who was actually, if you are familiar with the history of kite surfing, Corey Raisler's father. And the Corey Raisler is from the gorge, or he lives in the gorge now, but originally from Seattle. His dad used to tow him around under a hang glider with his Boston whaler. I don't know how that kid survived. Billy, <laughs> Billy was a MIT engineer on, you know, B2 bombers and one of the most brilliant engineers and best mentors I've 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 ever had. And I'm so 
grateful that I got the opportunity to work for him and hear the stories of, of he and Corey literally inventing kite boarding on, on water skis. I mean, the, the first stories were actually, you know, Corey had big water skis and was this big reel on his harness and he would, he would let the kite out and they would stack three, you know, three kites on top of each other. Cause this was before the days of foil kites or LEIs. So they would just try and use stunt kites and, and, and increase power that way. So that, you know, the, my interest in, in the sport coupled with the, the connection to Corey and Billy, I was like, I, I got to do this and eventually figured out kiting moved, moved to the Bay area in 2012, picked up twin tip, got into the waves, still love the waves, but for light winds, the foil really became the game changer because light wind kiting with these big 16 meter kites that are super slow and heavy and expensive is just not fun. And so the, the foils started coming on the market and we could use, we could actually get a foil for cheaper than a really big kite and, and have a lot more fun in, in lighter winds. So I learned, taught myself to, to foil with the orange liquid force foil fish setup. That was kind of the, the, the game changer of the day. It was, I think it was only, you know, a thousand bucks and you got a full, full foil package. The board was super heavy. The fuselage was just a solid chunk of aluminum, super, super heavy as well. The mast was, I didn't have any problems with it. I had a lot of friends had issues with ventilation and, and cavitation and, and some issues, but it was really learning, learning to foil on that setup. I, I remember kicking my, kicking the wing with my foot and, and cutting my foot open. I remember trying to walk up the beach with this super, super heavy setup and just, it was so heavy and I'm trying to fly the kite and I'm like, man, why are these things so heavy? They're, 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 they're not supporting that much load. I'm, I'm not a heavy person. I gave it to my girlfriend at the time, now my wife and <laughs> amazed after all the stuff we went through learning the kite, trying to get her to foil. And it was just so, so heavy. And so I started looking at carbon setups and found that the carbon masts and, and the carbon foils weren't, were actually not that much lighter than, than the aluminum versions. And, and they weren't any stiffer and, and I'll get into the importance of stiffness later, but stiffness is really what's transferring your body's, you know, control inputs to the, to the wing. And if you have a, a soft mast in there, it's really hard for your brain to, to make that connection of, of getting that control input to the wing so stiffness is is really important for really all sports. I mean, you look at any high-end mountain bike or road bike or F1 race car or airplane, it's it's all about stiffness because that's that's what transfers energy and control inputs. So back to these, you know, carbon masts in the in the mid mid 2010s, they were they were heavy, they were expensive, you know, twice the price of an aluminum setup and, and really not any better. And as someone who had spent really my whole career doing composite structures, optimization with Boeing, and I, I did some composites work at Apple and some of the flying car companies in the Bay area. It's like, I, I can do better. I want to make, I want to make a better carbon mass that, you know, someone with a liquid force setup or a slingshot setup could, could reduce the weight of, of their setup, add some stiffness without having to buy a whole new foil at the time. So that's, that's sort of what instigated project Cedars for me, which is just focus on the mast. Let's make it, you know, 40% lighter 
than any aluminum mass. That's kind of a, you know, if you look at the mechanical properties of carbon, you look at the, the Young's modulus, which is stiffness, you look at the density, you look at strength. In general, a composite structure should have 40% weight savings compared to a metallic counterpart or you, you have not optimized your design. I mean, this is this is a well-known industry, at least aerospace industry metric for for success. You know, Boeing's not going to build a carbon airplane unless it's 40% lighter than than a metallic version. So, or components within that airplane. So, so I really set that set that as my goal and it's evolved a lot since then, but but that's how I how I got into this. So I got into it through kite. I know we've talked about stuff, but the masts, you know, I really wanted to focus on a mast that could do it all. So that's, that's where I, I, I think I'm at and I know it will continue to evolve as it has and, and uh, happy to get, get deeper in the details. So let's start with <clears throat> design first. When you look at the landscape of masts on the market from, you know, the lift Takuma Armstrong, what do you see in the designs of those masts that can be improved on? Yeah. So outside of materials, let's not talk material right now. Let's talk foil section. Let's, let's talk design, not construction. Okay. So fluid dynamics and and hydrodynamics is, is a very complex and, and highly specialized field, arguably within mechanical engineering, but, but definitely not, I would not ever claim to be in, in, an expert in that area. I've been, I've been fortunate to work with, you know, really good, good engineers and, and, and people who have focused on that, you know, take, take Boeing, for example, I, I focused on, on structural optimization and, and structural design and manufacturing of components they had a whole team of aerodynamicists and CFD engineers, you know, CFD computational fluid dynamics. I, I run FEA finite element analysis. It's a structural tool, structural optimization tool. So there's, there's another set of engineers who'll do CFD for wing optimization and, and, and profile shaping, you know, masks, masks out there. I, I think that brands have, have focused heavily on drag reduction which, which I, I, I fully respect. I mean, if you look at the history of foiling, it sort of came from racing, you know, America's cup and, and kite racing in the Bay. And, and it was all about reducing drag and, and increasing speed. And, and, and the mast, you know, is, is one component of a total system that is producing drag. I mean, you have your wings, which are have parasitic drag, you know, wetted area, you have lift induced drag, you have a fuselage, you have the, the mass, how the mast pierces the water and the, the joint between the fuselage all have additional, you know, causes of, of drag. So I think the, the industry is focused on, on drag and reducing drag. And that's come a bit at the expense of, of stiffness. And, and, and there's no doubt that, that certain athletes need, need that speed and, and need minimal drag. I mean, I look at some of these toe-in surfers, you know, and I, I've had, I've had emails from guys that are really interested in my mask because of the stiffness. And then they tell me, well, I'm doing toe-in at 40 knots and I, I have to be honest and, and I'm an engineer and I'm not a salesman that maybe this mask isn't going to work for you because it is a little thickier and it is a little draggier than 
say a lift or, or an Armstrong mask, but you know, my goal isn't to make a mask that, that works for everyone. It's to make a mask that works for most because you'll always have people kind of outside that, that landscape that, that just need a more specialized tool. So so I think the industry, you know, they they focused on reducing drag and and ensuring adic- adequate strength. But the mast, the mast is actually a, a stiffness critical design, a stiffness critical component. Meaning that if you if you design the mast to have adequate stiffness to do the job, it will it will have enough strength. If you if you if you design it to have enough strength, it won't have enough stiffness. It'll be too floppy. You hear the term, like a term that I use is wet noodle. You don't Mm -hmm. want that thing being a wet noodle under your board. So as, as far as design of other masks out there, I think that, you know, we, we've finally gotten to a point where carbon masks are, are breaking a lot less. I mean, I still get emails from prospective customers all the time showing me their very expensive carbon foil. That's, that's broken. And they say, well, will your mask do this? And I'm, I, I'm really <laughs> grateful that I have not had a single structural failure of a project Cedrus mast in, in over three years now, which is, which is as a structural engineer, really, really important to me, but it's also, you know, credibility. And, and, and I think it's finally, you know, people are starting to acknowledge the design choices I made, like having, you know, an aluminum board connection as opposed to a, a more traditional monocoque flare connection to the board. So let's talk I, about I have, that connection yeah, for a little bit, yeah, because I've always sure. somewhat been suspect in, I guess, like my NSP, some of my early foils, my cloud nine were, you know, base plate and bolts in. And I always felt that that had more flex than the single piece mast. Do you think there's an advantage to having a, a two P a two part mast? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I absolutely do. And I'll, I'll kind of get into some of the details of composite materials here. And, and one of the m- most unique aspects of composite materials and why it's so fun to design with them and work with them is, is a, is a characteristic called, called anisotropy. And, and that means that the mechanical properties of the material are different in each direction. So aluminum, for example, let, let's say you take a sheet of Reynolds wrap and you pull on it in one direction and you pull on it in the other direction. It, the strength is the same, no matter how you stress that, that sheet of foil. If you take a sheet of carbon fiber, unidirectional, which is the raw form of of carbon, it's really strands of carbon in one direction only, and you you pull in the direction of those fibers, you have orders of magnitude more strength than you do if you pull transverse. When you pull transverse, you're, you're really pulling on the glue. You're pulling on the epoxy or the resin or the vinyl ester, whatever matrix makes up that material. So that... Uh, that that anisotropy is a really beautiful thing because it it allows you to tailor the layup, the structure to give you the the, the overall properties you want. So when I design the mass, I'm, I'm designing to achieve certain bending stiffness characteristics as well as torsion. You know, a surfer, you know, really pivoting in the, you know, in the lip, it's going to want really high torsional stiffness, a, a kiter, you know, or a windsurfer on the rail super hard is going to need some more bending stiffness. So you play with the angle of the unidirectional fibers that make up that stack 
to achieve the desired characteristics. And this is where simulation, you know, these tools that I use to, to do this cut, you know, months of, of development time. Cause I, I didn't have the luxury of like design build tests. Like I, I, I don't get to kite much these days. It's too expensive to, to build prototypes and test and, you know, feelings are very subjective. What I feel is stiff. Someone else might not. So you start to put computational numbers around things and, and there's no arguing, which is what I like about structural optimization, hydrodynamic optimization, how wings perform, how they fly, how they move through the water. That's in my opinion, that's half art, half science. There's definitely science. There's definitely CFD and fluid dynamics. But there's also a lot of art. And I have so much respect for, for board shapers and wing shapers who can, who can make a, a wing fly the way it does or a board the way it moves on the water. You know, there's no computers powerful enough to, to really determine how all that works. So back, back to the connection system, the, the, the reason you see a lot of carbon masts fail at the connection to the board is as, as the, as the plot, as the plies kind of flare out, you, you develop what you call what's called interlaminar tension stress. And when, when you have a really big bending moment on that mast, you're, you're no longer stressing the fibers. You're actually putting a stress through the thickness of the laminate and you don't have fibers running through thickness. You only have fibers running along the length. So when you stress the, the epoxy of the resin, it it's weak. And, and you put a big bending moment on, on that flared connection, it will delaminate. And, and I have seen so many pictures from prospective customers of, of big, you know, reputable brand name masks that have broken in this way due to interlaminar tension failure. And you can you can mitigate it by adding more material, adding more carbon, making the flare bigger. But what you're doing is you're just increasing weight and you're increasing cost. So my attitude was, well, let, let's get the carbon out of that area because it doesn't really want to be there. Carbon, carbon wants to be in, in, in long, straight strands. It doesn't want to be bent and, and curved. And so I put an aluminum bracket and stainless steel fasteners, which have a very well-known yield strength and ability to analyze and optimize that, that structure. And it's crazy because I'll, I'll get these emails from prospective customers showing me their broken mass saying, I, I want to buy a Project Cedrus, but I want a full carbon connection. Meanwhile, they've, they've broken two or three. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I've never had a failure. I'm telling you this is... This is lighter, this is stronger, and this is cheaper. But it's sort of this, this fast fascination that, that people have with composites, which I respect. I, I love them too. But I think what I have to do in my role as an engineer at, at, at these companies is, is really use the material where it should be used and, and not where it shouldn't and find, find the right material for the right application. So while my passion is really composites, I, I love you know, I love metallics and ceramics and uh, really finding the right material for, for the load path and, and what it's subjected to. So yes. And in, in my case, a two piece board attachment has worked very well. And, and also keep in mind when I started this project in 20, 
2016, there were still a lot of different board connections. You had Tuttlebox, you had KF connections, you had 165 by 90. You, you know, the, the, the industry is kind of converged around 90 millimeter wide tracks, which is, which is great. But back when I started this, a huge selling point of the mast was that you could bolt on a Tuttle head. You could bolt on a 165 by 90. You could, you know, F1 was using the KF box. So it, it'll, it allowed you to use a mast with any board. And, and, and I still have a lot of customers that, that do appreciate that. Although I, I do stand pretty firm that, that the aluminum connection plate has significant strength, weight, and, and cost benefits as well. So in that connection, the one thing that I always like to try to minimize is the amount of bolts because I don't like to take stuff apart. I don't want to have to wash something down after every session if I don't have to. I mean, basically, I just come in from the ocean. I just kind of hose off the fuse, the bolts on the board, and, and then I'm done with it. Are you seeing issues with corrosion or bolts locking? Is there maintenance that needs to be involved in that connection? You know, I, I, I always always recommend to rinse and and disassemble the foil whenever it's not in use and for some guys maybe you're one of the lucky ones that's very rare that it's not in use i i'm envious of of my customers in in maui who who literally leave it assembled you know all all season or all year for that matter, because they get to ride it every day. I I have not had a single warranty claim for corrosion. I haven't had a, a warranty claim, period. So I, I don't have, you know, bat battling corrosion is is tough. And I'll 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 mention, you know, the the threads in the mast are are actually stainless steel. The threads, the fasteners themselves are stainless. The aluminum's all anodized. So the, the, the worst area for corrosion that I've seen is down at the base of the mast where the adapter gets bolted on. If that's going into a carbon fuselage, such as lift or signature or unifoil, you get, you have dissimilar materials, which can lead to galvanic corrosion. So certainly down, down below where, where we're going into a carbon fuselage, which you know, sometimes I'll actually have exposed fibers because you really need the fibers exposed because those are what are conductive. My mask is clear coated, two coats of a high quality polyurethane. There's no aluminum in, in contact with, with the mast, ex except for the inserts that are, that are bonded in, which have a multiple process treatment and, and corrosion inhibiting primer. And I mean, that's a mil spec process that I won't, that I won't get into, but as far as mount plates and adapters, you know, no, no issues with, with corrosion. Right on. What about bolt strength? I mean, I assume that that connection is then limited in strength to whatever bolts you're using. Are you using anything special there? Are they M8s, M6s? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've definitely designed, designed the mask very early on around, around M8 hardware, just to be consistent and, and keep it easy for folk, folks. I'm starting to see a lot of, I think everyone's starting to see a lot of failures with, with M6 hardware. There's definitely the, the, the loads that can develop with, with these wings and, and these boards at these speeds and these waves and 
some of the tricks these wing foilers are doing. I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable stress on, on the hardware and I just cranking them down. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's definitely, so it's, it's good to preload them. Good to, good to go tight. I, I always recommend going tight. I have, I have had a couple instances again, it's, you know, it's like jumping wing foilers or I had a windsurfer who had, the bolts loosened on them on the top plate. And I, I really don't know the cause yet. I, I mean, I've, I've had it, it's happened to a few people and I, I don't know if they weren't preloaded enough. I, I don't know if they actually fundamentally overloaded the hardware. Cause if you look at the tensile strength, of the bolt, it's like, I mean, I did the math and I'm like, how could these guys put 5,000 pounds of tensile load on these bolts? It's just like, I couldn't compute, but Again, the, the sport is evolving so fast that I, I I did end up recently developing a new mount that has a more traditional collar to kind of take over some of that load if if the bolts do do strain. But yeah, hardware, you know, titanium. People love to talk about titanium hardware. It, it's really important to to get specs on the bolts you're using and look at the yield strength because there are certain grades of titanium that are that are weaker than stainless steel. So I I try and use you know A4 you know hardware. I am doing custom fasteners now because my quantities have gone up. I'm able to do custom runs with a higher quality stainless that has, you know, 80 KSI yield strength instead of the 70 of a four. So 70,000 pounds per square inch. So look at hardware is, is, is fascinating. And you can geek out all day on this. There's actually a grade of stainless called a two, eight, six, which is 140 KSI or 160 KSI yield strength. So like twice the strength of a, a standard M8, you know, stainless screw. McMastercar.com is, is kind of an online hardware store. And you can you can filter by thread, by you know, pitch, by yield strength, tensile strength, and, and you can learn a lot just like looking at screws and bolts. And it's a it's a pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating area for sure that I've that I've geeked out over. So your design is unique in that you have, is it both leading and trailing edge? That's almost like a a rubber material. Yeah. The, the leading and trailing edge of, of the mast are actually a flexible PVC material. So the motivation for that, again, this is another, there's no one decision in, in, in the mast that's, that's like governed by by one constraint. It's, it's, everything is multifaceted for me and, and, and in the details, sorry, I hear something going on at home. Sorry about that. The actually, can you hold on a sec? Sure. Maybe pause it. So, all right. Yeah, we? So yeah, we were talking about the, the decision to go with flexible PVC leading and trailing edges. So, so yeah, non, what I call, I refer to them as non-structural edges. And, you know, if you actually, next time you're flying, which I, I know doesn't happen very frequently for, for many of us these days, but if you look out at the wing on takeoff or landing, you'll notice that the leading edge and the trailing edge are, are extended. The flaps are down and the slats, the, the leading edge flaps are, are down as well. And, and that's creating more, more lift for the wing. So you can take off at a lower speed also creates more drag, which is why as soon as you get off the ground, they, they retract. So 
so non so those are non-structural edges. If you look at the the primary, you know, load carrying members in a in a commercial aircraft wing or your front and your rear spar, mm-hmm. and then you have a bunch of ribs. So the edges are really there to provide aerodynamic purposes and and you know be movable in the case of slats or flats or you can have fixed leading and trailing edge components so i i looked at the foil and and after i cut my foot and you know there's that picture of the of the guy who whose forehead got cut i mean the safety in the foil world has has been you know kind of one of the one of the most important things from the beginning is, is I think it's kept a lot of people out of the lineup, you know, for kiting, it's less of an issue because you're all kind of spread out. But in the case of a surf lineup, it, it, it is critical that, you know, these aren't hurting people. So I, I, safety was a big, a big motivation for me to, to make those, those components, you know, the sharpest area of the map, somewhat, somewhat flexible. There's actually a cost benefit. PVC is a lot cheaper than carbon fiber. So I can, I'm, I'm displacing a, a expensive material with, with a cheap polymer. There are also weight benefits. I mean, if you look at the, this, the density of carbon fiber, 1.6, 1.8 grams per CC, PVC is, I think it's around 1.4 so I'm, I'm saving weight, I'm saving cost, and then I'm getting these safety benefits. There's also some really interesting damping characteristics. So, you know, one of the common complaints of, of earlier carbon mass was like a, a whine or a hum or a vibration at certain speeds. And these soft edges actually dampen that out. So it's a really kind of a unique feel. If you're a cyclist, you might notice that some bikes like steel or, or, or carbon just feel a lot better on the road than a really stiff aluminum bike. So the, yeah, it was a very multifaceted motivation for, for non-structural edges. And I'm excited to, you know, to see where it goes. They're, they're not super soft. I mean, they're, they're, I didn't want to go too aggressive and worry about causing flow separation or ventilation or having negative impacts on hydrodynamics and and the the ultimate you know softness actually depends on on temperature too like in my climate in seattle and i i take the foil out in the fall or or even spring or summer per se like the those edges stay pretty stiff but if you're on the if you're on the beach and you know hawaii and it's 100 degrees in the sun like that that rubber really softens up so it, there's kind of a temperature dependency there, but I've never, never had any complaints about, about performance. It's, it's mostly been, been really encouraging feedback. A lot of people do, you know, question it and say, well, I, I'm not worried about getting hurt. Why do you do this? And it's like, well, it's not the only reason safety is one of them. So, well, I think anything yeah. that makes it safer lets you send harder. I know that there are different foils. I mean, the, the Takuma stuff I love. And it is so sharp and scary that I tend to not go quite as hard as if I'm on a signature setup, which seems to be a little bit, you know, a little bit safer anyways. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was working with, so I, I, I worked very closely with, with an America's cup foil designer, also an expoing guy on kind of the, the shape of the mast. So I, you know, I, I went through a, a number of iterations on, cord length and thickness, you know, looking at structural optimization, drag impacts to ventilation, cavitation. And, you know, what we landed on, 
you know, was, was the section that, that you see, I think it's, it's 19 millimeters thick, 120 millimeter cord length. One of the fascinating things that I learned from him throughout the development process was that like the trailing edge doesn't really need to be that sharp. It, mm-hmm. it has very, very little impact on, on drag in the end. So I, which was one of my biggest concerns early on, cause making a really sharp plastic part, you know, I just wasn't sure how we were going to, how, how I was going to do that. I, my goal was to extrude. So I extrude these edges at a factory in Ohio that makes window frame material. So like you look around your double pane windows, you'll see this like PVC gasket and that stuff is extruded by the mile, you know, in, in this factory. And so another reason the mast is constant cross-section. A lot of people ask me, well, why don't you taper it? Why don't, well, I don't taper it because the components that get used to assemble it have, have, have to, that because they're extruded, they have to be a constant section. And it also, the, the constant section allows me to customize length. And at this point, I think I have 17 different lengths available. So if you have a specific water depth or reef height, or, you know, I can make the exact length you, you want with the mast. That's pretty sick. I've just started experimenting with some longer masts and I've been on 72, 75, pretty much most of my foiling journey. And, um, I'm not hating the longer masts in the surf as much as I thought I was going to definitely a little bit weirder, kind of like when you're getting more radical in the lip, but it definitely has benefits too. And downwinding shore running, winging, get a little bit more length. And I guess at that cost, the the stiffness becomes much more important as you start getting longer. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the, the longer it gets just inherently solid mechanics will govern, govern the, the, the softer, the mass becomes, you know, you look at a spring, the, the big, longer, the spring, the soft, you know, easier it is to pull apart. It's the same, same with the mast. And, and so really focusing on, on stiffness early has allowed me to, to make a mass that my longest mass now assembles to just over a hundred centimeters. So I, I started getting a lot of requests from, from guys looking for, you know, my, my initial mast was around 90 and then I had some 75s and then I just, invested in some new tooling that allows me to go from 55 to a hundred centimeters. So it's a very personal thing too. It's definitely, definitely one of the hardest parts of this job is I'll, I'll, I'll get an email from someone, they pay their deposit. Now they want to design their custom mast and they're like, well, what wings should I get? You know, what length should I get? And I'm like, I really can't help you. <laughs> it's so, so personal. And, you know, where do you live? What kind of foiling do you like? What's the water depth? How do you want to progress? So in the end, it, it, it's worked out well because a lot of my customers will buy just two masks, just different lengths, which is which has been great. That I they buy one and then they love it and, and they get a different length as they progress or change their their sport. So yeah, it's it's definitely length is, has evolved. I think even in the wing foiling, like last last summer, a lot of the wing foilers were we're a little shorter, 75, 80, and now they're back up to kite lengths. They're, they're 85, 90 centimeters, even like I said, hundred centimeter mass. Some of my wingers in the, in the Bay area under the golden gate where it just nukes, you got that big, big swell. They want a longer mass. So you said your mast is 19 millimeters, um, in width. In yeah, in thickness, and then the cord the cord length is is 120, which is oddly almost exactly the same profile as the 
very popular Axis aluminum mast. And, and we arrived at that completely separately. It's kind of ironic that we ended up with such similar profiles. So um, I think the thinnest mast that I have been on was probably the MFC. Do you know what the span mm-hmm. of, of widths is in the market right now? Like what an Armstrong, a Takuma, MFC, they're all a little bit different. Yeah. It tapers a lot. Yeah. Tapering. I would say a pretty common thickness is around, you know, 16 okay. millimeters. And if you look at the equation for drag, the frontal area or the cross-sectional area, you know, will, will impact the drag force. And, and based on analysis, actually one of my customers did this. I've, I've wanted to get to it, but I just, I wanted to do a blog entry on it. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that the mast is one component in a system that's producing a lot of drag. The, the system as a whole is producing drag and, and the mast itself is, is actually a fairly small component. So, so my, my customer compared the drag in his Kujira mast that setup versus the Cedrus and found that depending on speed, it was some, something like three to 8% increase in overall drag of the system at the higher speeds, the, the drag is more impactful than, than the lower speeds. So that's where you're getting closer to the, to the, to the 8%. But yeah, so the industry is kind of around, you know, it's anywhere I've seen 14, really, really thin 16, 17. I think the new, maybe my first somewhat official competitor, the no limits mast made in hood river is around 16, not quite as stiff. I've gotten a lot of feedback, but a little thinner cord length, you know, 120 is, is, is pretty pretty common, at least midsection. I've seen them taper down to hundred millimeters in length with the fuselage, but they can be 140 up at the board. Tapering is, is interesting. I get a lot of requests for that, but the reality is, you know, I talked a lot about torsion and bending stiffness. If you're tapering it down below, you're really negating a lot of the benefits of a super beefy, stouty connection. Because when you really, you know, yaw a foil or pivot a foil, that moment is constant throughout the mast. So if you have a really stiff board connection, but, but a tiny, you know, section down at the fuselage, you've, you've eliminated like the majority of your stiffness benefits. So I, I don't believe in tapering. I also, you know, there's a lot of talk now, I think as, as people are trying to push their foils harder and and especially the wing driven sports, when you're really going hard upwind ventilation and ventilation depends on a lot of things. Ventilation is basically when, when you trap air between the mast and and the water that's flowing around it. And that bubble just grows. It it builds and builds and builds, you know, it can depend on the, the wave action. If it's like super choppy, water, the, the, the waves can kind of capture that air and trap it against the mast as, as that bubble builds and you push it harder. I mean, when you really lean over a mast, it, it becomes a wing. It's actually producing lift just like a wing. And eventually that bubble will grow and it will release. And that that's called ventilation. And you'll hear stories of, of guys just going hard and then it's just exploding and, and thickness definitely impacts ventilation characteristics, but also cord length, having a longer cord length just gives, you know, more stability to that wing. 
and reduces the likelihood of, of ventilation. So if you if you taper your mask down at the fuselage, you you could be you know instigating ventilation down there because there's just not a lot of surface area for that for that water to stay attached to. And, um, and what speeds is that becoming an issue? I mean, with our surfing and you know shore running, we run between you know probably 10, 11 up to low mid twenties. Are we, totally. are we seeing this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you guys are, are, are not gonna, gonna experience that. It's and I really optimize. Progress. Yeah. I, I optimize the mass for, for speeds, you know, between 10 and, and 25 miles an hour. That's, that's really what this mass is, is optimized for. But I've had some customers, you know, my machinist actually, and, and another foil pioneer, Jim Stringfellow, he, he, you know, was making stringy wings in, in the gorge and machining G10 back in the day. And, and now he, he makes a lot of my adapters and, and we're, we're basically partners. And he goes out in, in 40 knot winds in the Columbia River and, you know, freezing days. And, and just he's, he's had, he's experienced it with, with Project Cedars. And I'm not trying to hide anything. Do you want to go 40 knots? This is not the right mass. Interesting question in regards to so let's say that having a stiffer mast allows you to transfer power better to your foil, which is going to allow you to pump better. You know, any energy transfer mm-hmm. I've found is hugely detrimental versus, and what, what that percentage of energy loss is versus say a difference in three, 4% extra drag at the cost of having that stick stiffness. How do you think that equation pans out if you're if someone was interested in efficiency in those speed ranges that you're trying to ride so if, if you're doing a, a downwinder in in 25 30 knot swell you're 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 gonna want a faster mast should they be optimizing for stiffness over a little bit of extra drag or you know h- how does that work i think i think it's going to depend so much on on the environment and and the wave speed if you're if your sweat, you know, if your wave speed is, is lower and, and like, cause the, the key is just staying on that wave. Like let's not like talk getting about, that energy. Let's not talk about wave speed right now. Let's talk about pumping. Like if I just pumping, wanted to okay. pump for as long as I could on flat water, would it be better to have a stiffer mast with a little bit more drag, but full power transfer or more power transfer or a little bit more drag, but then you're losing some of it because of flexibility in the mast. How do you think that works? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, you know, it's a, as an engineer, I say, oh, that's a, that's like, I want to analyze it. I really want to dive deep, but you know, first principles, I would, I would say again, that the, the majority of the drag in modern foils is coming from wings. It it's not the mast. Okay. So when you're pumping, you're, you know, you're generally on these bigger wings, you're, you know, there's so much, there's so much drag, there's so much lift induced drag, parasitic drag down there that, that having a, another millimeter or two of cross-sectional area to the mast, I, I don't think will matter. And, and Devin with wake thief, you know, he loves to dive into this. And I sent he and Matt kite and I sent him a mast and he, he demoed it and he compared it to the axis aluminum mast, which in the end, it wasn't, it wasn't, a super telling demo because they're very similar profiles, but, and, and also actually s- similar stiffnesses. 
the Cedrus is obviously way lighter, but he, he did not find any, any real impact on, on speed or, or how far he could pump. And I'm just starting to sort of get into the wave world and the, and the prone and, and surf guys, you know, Josh at the foil shop and Patrick, all these guys in SoCal have just been so helpful for me because I, I came in through kiting and I, I, I'm not a surfer and I, I'm, I'm learning and I'm, you know, every day. So, you know, you asked me this question, that's what I would say now. And, mm-hmm. and I would say my customers agree that, you know, everyone who has a Cedrus will say that they don't, they don't notice or mind the additional drag. And and some people will actually say they, they, they find that they can go faster because of the increased control, the ability of that mass to transfer your input to the wing more quickly and which adds stability. And again, I'm an engineer, not a salesman. I don't want to try and sell a mass. That's not for you. If you want to go fast, you know, 30, 30 knots, 40 knots, big toe in, you know, you, you will feel it because you are going to be on smaller wings, which is why you're going to feel it. You know, you're gonna be on lower drag wings, lower lift wings, because lift varies with speed. And if you're going faster, you want a lower lift wing. So you're going to, you're just inherently going to have less drag. I think that's been the aha moment of surf foiling in the last year has been everyone thought you needed a big wing in small waves. And then the lift 120 came out and now you have a small wing that allows you to go fast all the time. And so you have the same amount of lift. You're just going faster and everything's just rad. And then the Takuma 1095 kind of does the same thing and Cabrini 800, but I think that's been the big aha moment is you can ride really small wings in uh, small surf because of that squared term of velocity, which is so yeah. rad to feel. Yeah. And I think we will continue to see amazing developments in, in the world of wings, which is, which is part of the reason I don't plan to get in that business anytime soon. I think, I think wings are evolve so quickly and and I know the cost of tooling and molds and, R and D and, 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 and I, I love making a product that allows people to experience different wings more easily and, and more quickly and, and more cost effectively than, than buying a whole new, a whole new setup. So it's going to happen in wings over the next year or two. I, I just think there's going to be a, a constant push to, to increase stability and forgiveness I, I was skiing for the first time in a, in a couple of years this last week. And I, I don't know how many, I'm sure you have some skiers that listen, but when Rosignol came out with the, you know, you and I talked a little bit about rocker of sup boards and, you know, camber and, and, and the shape of this ski really changed my life. I mean, it's a, it's a traditional cambered ski under your boot, but then the tip and tail have early rise and pretty wide shovel, you know, it's like 130 millimeters wide up front and one, I think it's down to 108 underfoot, but the ski is so forgiving in the powder. And, and if you hit, you know, you hit Avi debris under the snow or, you know, you're going from powder onto a cat track at high speed. Like it's just such a forgiving, playful, fun ski. And I think that foiling like that's, that's the ultimate in all of these sports is something that's playful and fun, but also forgiving, like not going to throw you down if you, you know, if you mess it up. And I, I, you know, I, I, I don't 
surf foil yet. I still love kite foiling. I don't live in a place that's very conducive to surf foiling, but I, I think that, you know, wings will continue to evolve to just increase stability, increased efficiency. So maybe, you know, better engineering of, of the structural optimization. So if you can reduce the thickness of the wing, but maintain the stiffness, all of that can be done with, with modern, you know, finite element analysis and, and then the hydrodynamics. I mean, again, it's half art, half science. The more guys we have out there shaping wings and, and prototyping wings and playing with wings, the, the faster we'll learn and, and, and the more fun I think we'll, we'll ultimately have. You mentioned their materials and getting stronger, lighter, smaller profiles, something I'm a huge fan of. Let's talk about carbon for a little bit. It's all carbon created the same. Give us your cheat sheet on how you look at carbon layups, car- carbon itself, different cloth structures, and then layups without yeah. giving away your secret sauce. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to give it away. I, I, I love to write blog entries on this stuff and I've, I've already given away most of my secrets, pretty, pretty much published the entire, you know, development process of, of, of project Cedrus on, on my blog, really for my, for my launch customers, you know, the guys who, who five, four years ago gave me 1500 bucks to build them a, a, a foil. In hindsight, I look back, I'm like, man, I can't believe those guys did this. I basically had my own little Kickstarter. Um, and I just to, just to show them how serious I was about this, I, I, I really documented everything I did and, and it's all on the blog and you can, you can dive deep into materials, testing aerodynamics, but back to carbon. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, kind of the, the raw form of carbon is, is, is unidirectional fiber. It's, 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 it's strands, you know, thinner than a human hair in, in one direction in these, in these giant rolls, what you typically see in, in sporting equipment is a fabric. It's a plain weave or a twill or a satin harness. And the reason you see it in, in sporting equipment is there are a few reasons. One cosmetics. I mean, I I've had prospective customers again, like what, why doesn't your mask look like carbon? Well, it, carbon is unidirectional and and in in its raw form. And if you look closely, you can see strands of, of fiber in the mass, but you don't see the traditional woven pattern. The other reason woven is popular in sporting goods is a, t- a term called drapeability. So if you take if you take unidirectional fiber and you drape it over a mold that's fairly complex in shape, it will like break apart between the fibers. I mean, because again, all you have holding those fibers together is epoxy. If you're working with a pre-preg, I would, so pre-preg is, is where the epoxy, yeah, my, my masks. So an, an early instigator for this project was due to the 787 delays that Boeing was experiencing. There was a surplus of a specific type of material on the market. And it's actually a intermediate modulus t800 fiber modulus refers to stiffness so when you when you read some marketing material that says like our high modulus mass that that doesn't mean stronger it actually means stiffer technically stiffer material it doesn't necessarily mean the mass is stiffer and and you can actually have in inverse correlation between stiffness and strength so sometimes really stiff materials are actually weaker so i i won't get into the details there but both the faa certifies pre-preg for aerospace application, five years shelf life, and it has to be stored in a freezer 
to prevent the the polymers or the monomers and the epoxy from from cross-linking. So it's stored at I think minus 10 F for five years. And and Boeing has full records of, you know, they'll the FAA will inspect and, and they have to show. So with the with the delays, they hit the five-year mark on on millions of pounds, literally millions of pounds of this material. And I was able to get a fair amount from a Boeing surplus site and I wanted to turn it into masks. I mean, it just, it kills me to think of this material. You look at the energy consumption that goes into producing carbon fiber to transporting carbon fiber. I mean, a lot of these materials are, are made in Asia and they're getting on boats and you're the energy used to store it. I mean, think of the amount of, of electricity to, to store something for five years at minus 10 F. So all in the end to just landfill it, it, it killed me. So I, I ended up getting a bunch of material from, from Boeing to start this project. And then I'm, I'm now, I continue to partner with a facility that, that procures the material from Boeing and their, and their material vendors. So yeah, my, my materials recycle. It's not recycled in a traditional way. It's, it's more like repurposed, still perfectly, perfectly good material, just not certifiable for flight as, as really any sporting goods grade composites are. So back to details of you know, the, the forms of carbon, I, I, again, I use unidirectional and that allows me to tailor it, you know, the ply angles, which are comprised of anywhere from zero to 45 degrees, the 45 degree plies give you the torsional stiffness. The zeros give you the bending. When you look at a woven material, half of the material is in a direction that's not adding strength to the mast. So when you see a woven I have a model called the Clydesdale and I, I differentiate it with, with a text stream, thin ply woven. And there is a little bit of fiber running, you know, from leading edge to trailing edge, but it, it, it's minimal. So the reason I prefer to work with uni is it allows you to really tailor the structure, but the industry, you will typically see woven plain weaves, satin harness, and there's nothing wrong with it. Again, it, it really just comes down to workability and and on wing design where you look at the the shape of a wing it it is a very complex shape you've got anhedral dihedral or you've got sweep and how you how you drape the fabric and the mold is really important and and with unis it's hard to do that so there's a there's a good reason for for using wovens on wings less Fewer good reasons to using it on 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 a bending and torsional stiffness structure like a mast. Gotcha. What about so you're using a, a unidirectional layup, a uni unicarbon, and then it gets because it's a mast, all all pretty much running top to bottom. Talk up a little bit about like the differences in carbon and prepreg versus like a normal like vac bag layup. Yeah. And strength to weight ratio and, and what pre-preg you started to talk about that and I interrupted you, but pull on that thread for a little bit. So, so pre-preg is, is really used heavily in, in, in aerospace because in general resin, whether it's epoxy or vinyl ester or polyester, it's, it's just along for the ride in a composite structure. The, the load is in the fibers and the, the role of the matrix, so the matrix is kind of a general term for, for the resin, you know, 
the the epoxy, the vinyl elastic polyester. We call that the matrix. And then the fibers are, you know, fibers could be glass, they could be carbon, they could be Kevlar. So in aerospace, yeah, the, the the goal is to minimize the amount of resin because that's it's it's heavy. It's it's just along for the ride. And so prepreg has was was basically developed to to properly wet out the fibers in a very controlled way. I think most prepregs are around 70% fiber volume, 30% matrix. So that that process of, of making prepreg is very, very controlled. It then, you know, will go to a Boeing or another aer- aircraft manufacturer and, and get cured under a very, very specific profile, temperature and pressure. And it's all about control in aerospace. It's not, you know, when you're designing an aircraft structure, it's it's not about making it like super, super strong. It, it's really about making it consistent, designing a structure that be that can be consistently analyzed and, and understood and reducing the variability in, in strength and stiffness. And so prepreg is is really all in that effort to to minimize variability because when you do traditional wet layups, it's harder to control the the resin ratio, how how quickly it enters, you know, even a, a couple degrees of temperature difference can cause that that resin to, to cure more quickly and become more viscous and, and not fully wet out the fibers. And you just end up with, you know, a little extra weight and in some cases a little weaker structures than you do with, with prepreg. But, you know, wet layups make a ton of sense for a lot of, a lot of structures and applications. I mean, you look at boat building and, you know, the, the complexity of molds that are out there and, and cost it, I, I do find it wasteful. It's sometimes really hard for me to see the garbage cans full of the the vacuum bag and the and the tacky tape and the hoses. You know, not a big deal when you're working on foils, but like I've seen hundred foot yachts get get laid up in a you know and injected with Vardum vacuum assisted resin transfer mold. Or it, it's it can be kind of a wasteful process, which which I struggle with a little bit, but but it is so flexible and it's great for prototyping and it, and it can work very well for production as well. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong for things like wings. It, it, it does make sense because of the complexity and, and in autoclave, which is typically required to, to properly cure prepreg because the resin ratio is so low, you really need high pressure and specific temperature profiles to get it to wet out properly. Oven, do you, do you have to heat your foils to, my the structural sections of Project Cedrus are are actually pressed now. They're they're between two heated plants, which is more efficient from an energy standpoint. Less waste. We're not vacuum bagging anymore. They literally get they go into a press and get a certain amount of pressure and heat applied for a certain amount of time, and then they come out. So we're you know really trying to reduce the what we call in the industry is consumables waste. When you when you make a composite structure with traditional methods, you end up with a lot of you know, like I, I mentioned, plastic vacuum bagging material or uh, sealant tape or hoses. Or it's it's just really important to me to to reduce reduce the consumables waste with production. It seems to me, being educated over the last hour and change here, 
that the stiffness that you're able to create through your process, through your materials, through your engineering would be incredibly beneficial in making super thin, super fast masts. Have you thought about going that direction for the kite racers or big wave toe guys, stuff like that? Yeah. So I, it's funny you bring up racing because I, I, I spent about five years in the, in the Bay area and used to love watching the, the racing off Chrissy field. And I, I'm been fortunate, you know, this, this project's been interesting. I tried from day one to, to really collaborate with, with industry and, and not compete. I mean, my goal from day one has been to like make, just make a good mast and, 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 and work with industry and, and learn. And one of the, one of the, the, the people who's more recently been supportive of, of this has been Mike Zajcek and, and staff with Mike's lab, which really, to be honest, surprised me. I mean, it's a very niche sport and like, there's a lot of knowledge and history that goes in the, the foils that he's made. And I mean, he's, he's making the fastest foils in the world. And I, I was a little reluctant to, to reach out, to be honest, because I, I've definitely had my share of, of guys telling me to bug off, but I was a customer of mine who said, you need, you need to get compatibility with Mike's lab. And I think your mask would ride really well with his foils. And so long story short, yeah, Mike and I have been talking and Steph and, and he's been down in Baja riding my mast with, with one of his bullet foils and yeah, it's a little draggier and he acknowledged it, but he's like, it's great. The stiffness is good. I'm pleased with the performance. I'm comfortable selling wings to customers who want to ride them with your mast. And he's got like, I think two year wait lists, you know, so I, I don't know how many customers I'll, I'll, I'll get, but my, my hope was, well, Hey, you know, Mike, if, if you can make more wings, like let, let me make the mask, like let's, let's figure out how to do this. But when it comes to racing, you know, the best way to reduce thickness is, is to make it solid and you eliminate the hollow nature of my architecture, which is, which is very unique and, and sort of allows for the compatibility features that I have, the lightweight, the buoyancy, the non-structural edges. So the, you know, his masts, most of the, most of the really high-end race masts, starboard, like they're, they're soup. They're as thin as they can get. And they're, they're solid, they're solid carbon, which, you know, is a lot of material. So they're, they're quite a bit more expensive. They're a bit heavier because they're solid, but, but they're thin. So I, I don't know if my architecture really works for super thin mass. I I'm confident that based on what I've learned over the last three or four years that I could thin, you know, even a millimeter or two would get me down to basically kind of a standard industry benchmark for thickness. But, you know, you'd be amazed to see in my cab, like I'm, I'm trying to fit an M8 fastener, you know, through the center of the mass, like that's eight millimeters right there. Right. And so I need material, you know, I actually need structural material. I need threads. I need, so like the stack up, you know, gets, gets really, really tough to, to thin it out much, much more again, one to two millimeters. I I'm, I'm definitely open to that down the road. If I ever get to like a gen two, but I, I think that if someone really, really wants to focus on, on speed going with a solid, a solid carbon, super thin high modulus mast is, is the right, the right move. 
it seems to me like with your background and understanding of all this, you could make the the best masks any way you wanted to, even if it changed the way that you're doing them right now. Yeah, I I think that's you know that's one of the things that I have enjoyed most. What about in my okay. career is like uh, you have all these constraints when you're designing something, whether it's at Boeing, you know, working on a seven eight seven or you know, at Apple, I was on iPad pro and and developed the carbon speakers and iPad pro. And, you know, I was working with audio experts and and manufacturing experts and display experts. And you all, you all have your, like your kind of your passion and your interest. You're like, I, I want to get this in there. Like I want this in the iPad or I want this, the wing to be this thin, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate wing for an aerodynamics is infinite span and minimal thickness for a structural engineer. It's, it's short span and really thick because that's a more efficient structure. So it's working with these engineers to like come to a conclusion that, that that's really satiating everyone's needs and, and in a way that leads to, you know, a multidisciplinary optimized structure is, is really, really fun. And I, with this mask, I, uh, again, I had my America's cup buddy and, you know, he helped me with the, the arrow side, but like, obviously I had more influence because it's my mask and I'm a structural engineer. So it's going to be a little thicker, but the next iteration, I, like I said, I've learned a lot and, and I'm more open to the feedback and, um, willing to, to push it a little harder next time. Do you know the guys at alchemy? I, I've chatted with them. Yeah. On, on Instagram, that might be definitely would would love. And, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm open about it. I've commented on their posts. Like I think they're making adapters for Armstrong masks. And I think they wanted to get into the lift, but I was like, guys, those are the two, the two wings that, that I struggle with adaptability right now are Armstrong because they have that, you know, hollow hexagonal, interface that you, you literally cannot machine that it, it has to be cast. So I could, I could cut, I could make a mold for, you know, five, 10,000 bucks and, and do a investment casting or what I did on this first, for my first prototype, I did metal 3d printing and it was a $500 part. You know, obviously it is cheaper than a mask, but I don't know how many guys are going to want to spend 500 bucks on an adapter. So I, I've asked the alchemy guys, Hey, let's, let's make a Cedrus compatible fuselage system. And that will basically open up Armstrong go foil. My, my machinist, Jim Stringfellow, he does make custom Takuma fuselages because guys want different lengths now. And he, he's working on Armstrong. So I, I will have compatibility with Armstrong and, and I do have it with, with Takuma and go foil already, but yeah, I think a modular fuselage system is like a perfect fit for, for Cedrus for sure. And, and the invitation is out there. I've, I've, I've pinged them. We've emailed. I said, whenever you're ready, I got, you know, a, a bunch of customers already. For, I mean, that was like one of the hardest parts about starting Cedrus, like building that customer base and, and meeting and, and selling. And, you know, if I had someone offer me, Hey, I got 200 customers who might be interested in your product. Like <laughs> I'd take it. Yeah. I would love to feel different fuse options for Takuma. I mean, that's one of the cool things about like the alchemy is it let me kind of play around a little bit, but be super, super cool to feel. I haven't felt your mask before either. Be rad to feel one at some point. Yeah, I'll have to definitely 
when I find out exactly where you are, see if I have any nearby customers, but I can definitely um, get you a, a demo or a setup. I I've been, you know, COVID has, has had a huge impact on recreation in general, you know, bike industry. I feel like a lot of people, you know, their lockdown project was like learning to foil and <laughs> coupled with some of the supply chain issues that, that the industry is dealing with, like a lot of the the product coming out of Asia is stuck on ships outside of LA right now. And, and so I've, you know, it's been, it's been really good for my business that, you know, people see, Oh, wow, it's, it's made in Oregon. I can get it. And unfortunately, because they're custom made, there's a bit of a lead time now, but it's, it's been, it's been fascinating. And then, and then the climate impacts on supply chain and manufacturing. I mean, I, I wrote another blog entry about this, but like last spring we had the Texas freeze, which shut down the entire petrochemical industry, a lot of the epoxies, urethanes, adhesives, paints come from, you know, the same refineries that are, that are making gas and diesel. So that all shut down. By the time I actually got my adhesive in May, June, or I I can't remember exactly when it was, but you probably remember we had this crazy 115 degree heat wave in Seattle. I mean, it was absurd. Like we, we actually could not make masks because the epoxies were curing so fast. So then, then we finally get back up and running again. And then there's another hurricane and this time it's in new Orleans and and there's a huge petrochemical industry down there. So I've been, I've been battling these like supply chain, even though it's like fairly short, you know, my carbon's cured in Washington, my machining is all done, you know, a couple miles from my house, the mass is assembled in Oregon some of these global issues, uh, arguably climate related are, are, are super, super challenging. So I, my, my wait list has been kind of long and I, I haven't been able to make demo masks. Like, and when someone pays a deposit, I, I've, I've so much invested in this and tooling that I, I have to, I have to make masks for, for paying customers, but I hope <laughs> to soon be able to get to have, man. <laughs> demo masks out there. That's a sick um, problem to have. <laughs> it's um, been hard. Well, how do people find you? How do people follow you? Project Cedrus, C-E-D-R-U-S.com is your website. You're on Instagram. What else should people know? Yeah, I, you know, I was very active for the first few years on forums because I just remember forums being really, really valuable for me learning to kite. You know, what is, what's the wind direction? What's the beach like? How do I lay on my kite? Like, I, I love forums. It's unfortunate that Facebook has killed a lot of really good forums. You know, everything on Facebook is so fleeting. You just like the, the timeline, it's like it's gone. Whereas when I lived in the Bay Area, I actually ran the local forum, bayareakiteporting.com. And there was so much history. I mean, guys in 2007, you know, trying to figure out how to rig a kite in Berkeley. And, you know, all those posts are still there and you can go back and read them. So I, I was pretty active on, on forums for for the first few years of this project. I mean, really because a lot of people would, would hear about it or, or make assumptions based on the website. Like, well, why are the edges structural? Like I, I, if I'm going to have material on my mast, I want it all to be structural. And it's like, well, let me chime in and tell you about why I did it this way. And so I'm, I'm pretty act less so on forums because a lot of my web traffic I'm, I'm seeing is coming from, you know, organic search and, you know, Instagram social. It, it's so powerful. I, 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 I hate it. I, I really struggle with the social side of, you know, the Instagram and Facebook, but it, it is really, really powerful. And it, it, and I'm making it fun. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely trying to find ways to educate 
people. I don't have any exotic kite or surf videos because, like I said, I don't get to do it anymore. But I can see some cool photos of masks getting assembled or a really, you know, 3D printing. I, I worked with a First Nations artist in BC on my logo. I've got uh, a really interesting story there and talked about the history of, of, of that. And so, yeah, I'm fairly active on, on, on Instagram. I'm, I have the, my, my, my blog is, I like to think it's pretty decent. I, when I see a kind of a recurring topic in a forum, I'll, I'll write a blog article about it and try and direct that traffic to my site as opposed to filling up other forums, specifically on a lot of misunderstanding around carbon fiber. I mean, a lot of broken masts out there, you know, you read forums, people say, don't buy carbon. It's not strong and it'll break. And it's like, okay, let's take a step back and let me explain to you the, you know, the, the mechanical properties of carbon fiber, the, the Young's modulus, the yield strength, and compare it to aluminum and compare it to steel. And it's actually quite a bit stronger and stiffer than all of these other materials. And the reason those masks are failing is, is a design problem. It's not a material problem. And so you, know, you can subscribe to my blog. You can check it out that way. Instagram, Facebook. I'm not so active on Facebook these days. And I'm pretty, pretty good about responding to, to emails. You know, I've, I've had to, I I've gotten a lot of requests, you know, guys will email me, Hey, can you make an adapter for my liquid force mass from 2014? And I, I can't, unfortunately, I don't even respond to those anymore because the amount of time and energy it, it takes to not only design that part and, and, and produce it, let alone respond to the email. So I've, I've had to kind of pare down my contact forms and and say, hey, if you're interested in the mast, I'd love to talk to you about it. But I, I can't get into, you know, detailed adapter design for kind of an outdated system because the, the, it's just too cost prohibitive time and, and resource wise. But if, if you are interested in new mast, I, I always I mean, I've got conversations with prospective customers that are 10 emails long and, and usually they end up submitting the deposit when they don't. I just kind of have to eat it. Well, that was a lot of time, but it's running your own business and a lot of lessons learned. So I just want to, yeah, help educate and really just progress our sport, all sports. I mean, I, I really, I, I've worked in aerospace, worked in consumer products, but my passion is really in sporting equipment because I get so much pleasure and have so much fun and, and the health benefits um, the social benefits of of doing these things are really, really important to me, and I wanna I wanna help innovate and just make make a more fun and and reduce the environmental impact of our equipment, which is which is real. I mean, it it it's definitely. I think of all these broken carbon masks in the landfill, and you know, just leaving Whistler last week, like all the skis lined up at the, at the transfer station. I mean, it's like we were talking hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds of epoxy and wood and fiberglass and carbon that are just, you know, done. So really trying to make a mask that, that lasts a lifetime for you with Project Cedars. Well, right on. And Kyle, thank you so much for spending the time and giving us an amazing education on carbon fiber construction values of stiffness. I mean, this is going to be a valuable one for the foil nerds out there, which is a big part of our audience. So thanks for taking the time, man, and coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you. I, I definitely, I, I, I enjoy, I can talk, talk carbon and, and engineering all, all day. I hope there was enough foiling 
point link in there. And like I said, don't hesitate to to reach out if there are any questions. Like my my daughter is home from the store time. with my yeah. wife. So <laughs> my window is closing. <laughs> thanks right so on. much, Eric. Thanks. Enjoy really. your night and, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks so much. Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.